unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, and apparently we have a very special guest on the podcast, a surprise for the listeners today. Yes, we do. Um, today, I'd like you to consider yourself lucky, very lucky. We have one of the world's great teachers and practitioners of direct response copywriting on the show, Don Houtman. You'll see what I mean about teaching in a moment when Don shares the most successful copywriting techniques he's learned in 45 years, techniques you may not be using yourself or not using as well as you could yourself. And as you'll see, it's costing you, but you can learn them here today. As a copywriter, Don's accomplishments are legendary. He's a 10-time, get that, 10-time, for, for many years, 10 times was an industry record that was unbeaten, 10-time winner of the Newsletter and Newsletters Promotion Award for Subscription Acquisition Packages. That's about getting new subscribers to a newsletter, pay money and subscribe. Not easy. Um, Don's a copywriter who created the ads with the classic headline, Speak Spanish Like a Diplomat. Those ads and other versions of it, like Speak French Like a Diplomat, sold tens of millions of dollars worth of language courses in many languages for audio form. And I remember seeing those on airline magazines for years when I used to fly a lot more than I do now. Uh, Don's work has been featured in college advertising textbooks and professional collections, including million-dollar mailings and the world's greatest direct mail sales letters. These days, Don's officially retired, but he still does pro bono marketing, consulting, and fundraising work for nonprofits and friends' businesses and professional practices. Also, Don's the author of a very valuable book, The Versatile Freelancer, which he'll tell us about later. Naturally, there's something I'd like to tell you about right now. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries, like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review of your copy after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Don, welcome. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this for so long. Happy to be here. We are old friends, and I was tempted to say that uh, I envy you being in California. I'm in New York, and uh, it's chilly and gloomy outside. Uh, so, um, uh, Picking up from your point about the my big theme is the most successful techniques I've learned, and these are uh, principles that give copy its power, its persuasiveness, uh, that lead people to read, that motivate them to uh, become involved and uh, make the purchasing decision. But I found uh, throughout my career, and even now, uh, as I review uh, copy for others and sometimes help them, uh, they're often overlooked. And um, so I want to talk about at least three of these principles and uh, why they're, they're often omitted. Uh, my view is that it's because they require work. 
It requires some time and effort and thinking. Uh, uh, and people don't often put in that effort. So I'm going to try to show you some of these uh, principles and how you can apply them to your own copy. That, that's great. I uh, would agree with you. I would also think there are a couple other reasons people don't use them. One is they don't know them, but there's a much more pernicious reason. And that is people think they know them. And in fact, they're misinformed or they don't know nearly enough about them. So uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is your thoroughness. And you're also very good at getting to the point of what matters, what matters for readers and what matters for the people you're writing for, we're writing for as copywriters, the, the clients. Um, so yeah, uh, what's, what's your first um, big picture principle? So the first one is uh, human interest. And there are many ways to express this. We could also say finding the inherent drama in uh, the subject, storytelling. And storytelling seems to be back because we've got all these podcasts and radio shows, The Moth, uh, The New Yorker Radio Hour, Selected Shorts, Ed. Uh, so it proves, I think, that there is a fundamental need and desire among people for stories. Um, but in my view, it's not so much the resurgence. It really never went away. My favorite example of this from my own work is a newsletter called Cardiac Alert. And this was published by uh, Tom Phillips, who at one time was had the largest newsletter publishing company in America. And he, um, I did, uh, in the package I wrote for him, along with the main uh, letter, there was a smaller, uh, what we call a lift letter. Uh, and on the outside, it said, uh, in handwriting, when my, when I was 16, my father died of a heart attack. And then inside, we told the story that happened to Tom, and it was devastating for him. But then years later, he had a chance to acquire this publication uh, that um, uh, helped people uh, take care of their hearts and avoid these, these problems. And so we, it was a sort of loop-closing thing uh, built on a very dramatic personal uh, uh, situation in his own life. And the, uh, the package was never tested with or without the uh, lift letter, but Tom was uh, convinced that it uh, worked and it became something of a classic. And uh, he once told me that no matter what they were, even if they were sending out other people packages written by other copywriters, they always included my my list letter. So there's an example, and I got it from interviewing him and probing for these details. Uh, another example uh, was something I didn't write, but I was asked to critique it by a nonprofit organization, which was using uh, doing a direct mail fundraising appeal. And it was a story, a first-person story about one of their staffers who was born in Vietnam. And then he left. He became disenchanted with the government. He started reading Western works, especially economists, and he fled uh, the country. Uh, but that's about all it said. And I thought, oh, my God, uh, they're overlooking so much. Uh, how did he escape? Uh, was he in danger? Did he leave his family behind? And now that he's working in a kind of political organization, is he doing anything to help uh, his family and the people he left behind? But none of that was there, and I think it was because nobody bothered to ask these these questions. So that's what I mean when I say that finding the human interest element, the drama, uh, takes work. It takes effort, and you have to know the, the right questions to ask and keep probing. Let me 
I love that. I love both of those stories. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about um, the Vietnamese man who escaped and came to America. And I'm assuming he was more in favor of um, uh, capitalist and entrepreneurial ideas than what he found in the communist environment in Vietnam. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. They actually name Milton Friedman and Henry Hazlitt and all these libertarian uh, uh, conservative uh, writers. And uh, again, uh, you know, he, he noted that he, this was so different from the propaganda that he was indoctrinated with. But again, you know, he, there, there no, he doesn't, there's no dialogue. Did he ever get into an argument or was threatened? All of that was missing because nobody did that, that legwork. So, uh, Don, you're in New York and you could probably go downstairs to a bagel shop and order something. And in, in the time from you, when you walked in the door to the time you've, you've paid for your order, three stories have occurred either in somebody telling it or, you know, somebody spilling food or somebody causing a ruckus. It's like your, your life is surrounded, I would think, by stories so much that you, you don't notice it just as we don't notice the beautiful California sunshine. We just take it for granted sometimes. But um, I was wondering if, if you could explain for people who aren't as fluent in story as you are, why, how he escaped, why the aspect of danger, you know, why leaving family behind adds inherent drama to the story. And I'm, I'm really not saying that to bait you or to play dumb. I'm saying that on behalf of a lot of people who seem to deliberately leave these things out. And then when I'm critiquing them and suggesting they put them in, there's a lot of resistance. Could you elaborate on why these things work? Well, I was, I was just thinking of um, Steven Spielberg, who's supposed to bring back a show from decades ago called Amazing Stories. And mm. you can find the opening on YouTube where there was like a caveman millions of years ago around a fire and he's entrancing his listeners uh, with a story and then it leaps forward to the present day. So the point is that this is an inherent desire for stories is kind of an inherent need uh, among uh, humans. And also, I think there's an empathy element. We can all empathize and think of ourselves, you know, what if I were in that situation of being trapped in a totalitarian regime and I was risking my life? Uh, to to get out, and then you want him to win, you want him to succeed. So, and of course, you know, movies and TV shows, it's that drama uh, of uh, seeing how people cope with situations. Maybe there's a surprise ending. Uh, uh, I prefer happy endings, but a lot of movies these days that win Oscars don't have them. So, does that address your question? It does. I, I appreciate that. And you said there's another, um, uh, you know vitally important principle, which maybe people think they know, but I see a lot of people get wrong. And I imagine even these days as you're doing critiques for nonprofits and friends, you see these things missing too. Could you talk about specifics and proof? Yeah, there's a lot of these are interrelated. And uh, the idea here is that people are skeptical. Uh, I used to see these statistics. Uh, people are inundated with 5,000 advertising messages a day, which sounds incredible, but I guess if you start counting, maybe you reach that number. So you need to prove that you're credible uh, and not offer just vague promises that aren't backed up. 
so uh, statistics, details, cases, prices, uh, whatever is relevant to what you're selling. Uh, uh, concretes add proof that fluffy generalities do not. And uh, this is sh a short podcast, but I'll mention one way to do this, and that's testimonials. And um, all we have to do is look at Amazon or Yelp uh, to see how important testimonials are. Uh, when people make comments that are positive or negative about a hotel or restaurant, that can make the success of the restaurant, uh, the, the enterprise, or it can kill it. So a couple of examples about uh, I would say here, this ties in with my mistake theme because many people don't do testimonials correctly. Uh, I read every word of the book and I really love this product, but that doesn't really persuade. It's the nitty gritty specifics that make the difference. I once did a uh, direct mail pro promotion for an investment letter. This was a typical kind of newsletter that tells people what stocks to buy. And I asked the publisher to give me the names of some long, time subscribers, people who had renewed, because obviously they're happy with it. And one guy, I picked up the phone, I called him, and he was a bartender. And he said, we don't have pension plans. We don't have 401ks. But this newsletter gave me the recommendations I needed to build a portfolio that will, you know, uh, take me into my retirement. So I think just the fact he was a bartender, I mean, you immediately have that image. Uh, that was a, was a good testimonial. And a favorite um, project of mine was a um, uh, a uh, audio series called uh, Audio Classics. What they did was take all the books that uh, we wish we had read in college when we were sleeping through class, uh, Machiavelli, uh, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, the Founding Fathers, uh, and put them on audio in a, in a dramatized form. And we sent out a survey uh, asking for testimonials and stories. And Two that I like to cite are one guy who said, uh, I was at a planning meeting of California politicians, some you know bigwigs, and I was able to draw on my knowledge of Adam Smith's economics. Oh, I thought you were going to say I was able to draw on my knowledge of Machiavelli. Uh, funny, funnily enough, there's a new book uh, about uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. I just read a review of it. Uh, but in this case, it was Adam Smith, the economist. And uh, another one was a guy who said he got into some sort of discussion or debate with his brother. Uh, uh, and in this case, he was able to uh, talk about the Declaration of Independence. And I even uh, corrected my brother on one point. And uh, I, I have a brother. I'm always arguing with, so I can identify with that. So we, we got numerous uh, testimonials like this. We covered two full pages, an entire uh, back in the front sheet in the package. I'll just add one more point, which is a favorite story of mine. I had a client uh, in Canada who published a newsletter for restaurant owners, telling them how to fill more seats, make more money. And uh, this was before um, I joined him. I don't know where he got the idea, but the testimonials he used, which were all you know excellent, very powerful, included not only the, the name of the restaurateur, the establishment, the city, uh, but also the person's phone number. And I thought this was a very ingenious idea. I doubt that anyone picked up the phone and called these people. But I think the reaction must have been if he's including the phone number of these people, the satisfied subscribers, uh, he can't be making it up. And then I borrowed the idea when I was working for a, a big financial conference. And in this case, it was the exhibitors. They were selling the exhibit space. And we got 
you know, testimonials from the the exhibitors who were pleased by the the sales and the new customers they made at past shows. And again, I use that trick of asking, and of course, with their permission, we use their phone numbers. So those are a few points about use of testimonials, how to do it right. That, those are great. And one thing I'd like to um, observe is at the beginning of this section, you talked about concrete details, numbers, prices, statistics, examples, evidence proof, all of which was in those testimonials. However, there's something else that really ties back to your first point about the human element. In each case, I, I was noticing in my mind, um, you know, whether, whether it was the restaurant owners or whether it was the bartender or uh, whether it was the guy at the political conference in California, you are, or the testimonial giver through your typewriter, through your keyboard, are taking the reader of the copy into the life, into a slice of the life of the person who's giving the testimonial. You're, you're literally bringing them there into the room, into the meeting in, in such a way that it seems so real, not just the specifics, but the texture of it. What do you think about that? Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Well, I think it ties back to what I said about empathy. I mean, people like people generally, unless they're misanthropes, and uh, uh, it's that idea of, um, can I identify with this person? Again, it's also like, uh, I think, movies and plays where you want to be able to identify uh, with the person. In the case of uh, Joker, maybe you can't. Uh, but um, uh, uh, that, um, that sense of, this is a person like me, uh, and I have the same problem. And if um, the client's product, in my case, I, of course, I worked for a lot of newsletters, magazines, books uh, that were how-to, informational, uh, and addressed to solving a particular problem. And the uh, prospective customer might say, hey, you know, if this helped him or her, perhaps it can help me as well. So there's that, that sense of identification. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, let's, let's briefly cover your third point about free information, which is now called content marketing. Yeah. Um, content marketing is a new phrase, but I think I was there at the creation back in the 70s when um, a publisher used this for the first time uh, that I knew of with a package, a very successful package built around predictions uh, for uh, the economy and stocks and business and so on. And the idea here ties in with the earlier points about establishing credibility. So with content marketing, uh, free information, you're offering something 
in the copy that can help the uh, prospect. And you're not saying, you know, pay us and we'll give it to you. It's right there. So if it's like investment, you're not saying subscribe and we'll tell you the next uh, Apple to buy, but you're actually telling him what the stock is and what price to. And that is just irresistible. It lures people. And similarly with health, uh, you, you tell them that if you have this problem, COQ10 uh, might help you. And uh, you might say you have to subscribe for the dosage and side effects. So that's a pretty uh, tempting uh, way to do it. Uh, in uh, a recent podcast of yours, David, you um, uh, talked about the famous Maxwell Sackheim ad. Do you make these mistakes in English? Sure. There is a question, but I, I didn't invent this test but I saw it somewhere where you asked, um, what is the most important word in the headline? And everyone gets it wrong. Do you make these mistakes in English? The most important word is these, because mm -hmm. if it had been, do you make mistakes in English, it would have sounded like a lecture from your third grade teacher. But right. when you see that, you know you're going to get some useful information just by reading the ad. I have uh, an old um, advertisement I kept from a magazine decades ago uh, for Sears. Uh, the Sears still exists. I think it's on its last mm -hmm. legs. But the headline was How to Buy the Best Portable Color TV from Sears or Anyone Else. And it's those last three words that add the element of credibility. Uh, they're not just plugging themselves, but really trying to help you. Um, again, one of my favorite projects of my own was a newsletter called Tax Angles. And uh, this was started by Bob Kephart, who sadly died some years ago. The company KCI is still around. But uh, I helped launch this newsletter. The name was my suggestion. And Bob um, I'll mention the, the teaser copy we used on the envelope. If you're counting on your tax advisor to help you cut your taxes, you're making the most expensive mistake of your life. I don't know and, why, but I remember that. And I, I, that, that really rings a bell. Please keep going. So. Um, uh, Bob based this on what he called the businessman's lament. It's a good example of market research. He kept hearing people say, I have two tax lawyers and an accountant, but they never give me any uh, good advice to cut my tax bill. What do I have to do uh, to get some, some guidance on this? And what, what he said was, you can't expect these people to help you. They're conservative. They've got other clients. You have to keep informed of what's going on. And when you see something, go to them and say, can we use this? And that's what we provided, these uh, news developments, reports. And then um, uh, the taxpayer might not have been able to do them on his own, but he could take it to his professional. Uh, and it was a, a form of, of, of an alert. So uh, you asked me um, privately to talk about the creative process. So I'll just add one more thing. Um, the When I first wrote, headline i wrote if you're counting on your tax advisor you're making the biggest mistake of your life uh and then i realized to change biggest to most expensive was far more dramatic far more relevant so that's something about you know when you're in the creative process and i'll cover you know pages and pages with notes brainstorming crossing things out looking at a thesaurus to find the right word so i uh, just quickly a couple of other examples of uh where we use the free information uh, principal, um, a promotion for a newsletter called The Organized Executive. How America's top executives um, get so much accomplished in so little time. And again, you have that provocative question that will lure you in. And then finally, another one I did for Tom Phillips for his uh, retirement letter, uh, is Social Security due? 
and this was around 1980, we could still be asking that question today. Yep. Uh, but if somebody is retired or about to retire, that um, was a uh, certainly something that would motivate them to open the envelope. And it was also a good example of an old principle we all know, fear is often more powerful than greed. That, that that's true you know be, this is so much good stuff thank you don and i i know you've put a lot of a lifetime of learning and doing and a lot of work even into preparing this but let's talk about your book because uh the versatile freelancer um you know when i got that book and that was a few years ago i remember and you can find this on the on the website versatilefreelancer.com that I used one of the ideas and I earned more money in two hours than I had been paid for my entire first year as in my glamorous job as a magazine writer in New York. So, uh, yes, you, you gave us that as a testimonial, which was wonderful. And let me just mention the, it may not be clear from the, the name, the versatile freelancer, the headline we used was share what you know and get paid for it. So the idea is that you know, if you haven't written any copy yet or you haven't started in your profession, this won't apply. But if you've been around for a few years, you've been around the block, uh, you have knowledge and experience that's worth money. And you could get paid, as I did, for sharing this by consulting, corporate training, public speaking, and also perhaps the least obvious one, doing critiques or evaluations. So these are all things that I did. They brought me um, thousands, tens of thousands of additional income every year. And what I think is even equally or more important, they were fun. They got me out of the house, um, travel. I went to Germany, England, all kinds of places. They introduced me to new people. Sometimes they generated writing assignments. Uh, but um, this is something that I think most people can do, even people with stage fright. I give a few uh, tips on overcoming that. So um, I just talk about all my experience in the book, what I charged. I don't hold anything back. And uh, there's more information at that website, versatilefreelancer.com. And of course, I wrote the copy uh, to sell the book. Well, your, your copy is sterling or, I don't know, golden or platinum or something. Some I just might add, uh, David, you gave me one of the best points in the book. The answer to the question, how do you know when you're ready to do this? And your answer was, if you've been right, let's say, writing advertising for a client, and one day he says, hey, can you come into our office and show our people how to do this? So if you hear that question, you know that you've reached the point where someone knows and trusts you enough to do that. That's that's really good. Well, we'll put uh, versatilefreelancer.com in the show notes. And I um, wish we had more time, but we're we're sort of at the end of the show. Don, thank you so much. This this was great. Nathan, anything you want to say or a quick question you want to get in before we wrap? No, I want to say this show has been packed with gold and any episode that mentions Machiavelli, Adam Smith, John Locke, and Henry Hazlitt all in one episode is a winner for me. So <laughs> thumbs up. Are, are you saying that this rang your libertarian bells? Absolutely. Very good. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Until next time, if you want to check out more episodes of the podcast, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you later. See you later.
Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.